Well, again, I want to welcome you here. Everybody pull out one of these, uh, or this little, um, it says sermon notes on it. You can find it over in the venue. We also have one online for you. And uh, I create this uh, for probably most of you, so you can kind of track where we're going in the message. Maybe you might hear something in a song or in a message or something that you go, wow, I need to remember that. You can write it down on here. We also create for you a, a daily meditation page, which kind of goes along with the topic, so that all week long, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you can kind of keep immersing yourself in, um, in our message here, and I want you to take advantage of it. Before I, I get into the message, though, I, I want to uh, do a little uh, follow-up, maybe come back around on our special offering that we took for our, our uh, school, our tuition assistance offering. And most of you in here, 99% of you, uh, know about it, you participated in it, and, and uh, we have about $450,000, actually over $450,000, that uh, was given, and it has one purpose, and that is to help people uh, get their children or their grandchildren into our school. And uh, every single nickel of that offering goes to help uh, people get their children, grandchildren into our school. We recognize that there are some people who can afford to put people into our school to have a good quality education, Christian education. But we also know that, that for, for some, you know, you're close. <laughs> you just can't pull it off, you know, with all the stuff of life, you, you, you know, the rent or your mortgage or whatever all that is, and by the time you pay for groceries and all that kind of stuff, you're just a little bit short. Well, that's what this tuition assistance fund is all about. We know that many of you want to get your kids into our school. We hear about it all the time, but we hear we just can't afford it. What I want to challenge you to do is this, is at least go and take your son, your daughter, your grandchildren, whoever it is, over to the school and, and see. If you don't ask, hey, it, it, you know, can I get some help? You, you'll never know whether you'll be able to, to make it or not. One of the things that kind of is amazing is, is this, it's kind of shocking, is that we have people still who are part of our church family who go, yeah, I, I didn't try to get my children into the school because I, I just know I can't afford it. Well, did you go over and see if tuition assistance would help you? No. No. Well, well don't do that. Gather the wisdom that you need because just maybe you might be able to get your children into our, our school. You'll never know at least until you, you try and next weekend, after each of our gatherings on Saturday night, Sunday morning here at 9 or 11 o'clock, um, Pastor uh, Bobby Kirchner, who was up here just a little bit, bit ago, he's the superintendent of our school, is going to have about a 15-minute informational meeting where you as a parent or a grandparent can come and, and ask some questions. We'll have some packets of information that we can hand out to you to see if maybe um, you'd be able to get your, your student, your, your child, your grandchild, or maybe somebody that you love deeply into our school, okay? So uh, next week, you might wanna take a, a advantage of that, uh, okay? Um, I wanna share with you uh, two of the most powerful words, um, maybe that were ever spoken. They're just eight letters. 
but they're without a doubt uh, two of the most powerful words you'll ever hear. They'll, they'll literally change your life forever. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me, Jesus said. And beloved, I'm not sure that there are two more weighty words ever spoken. There are more weightier than uh, I do. Remember that moment? Three little letters. Change your life forever when you're standing there in front of your wife, future wife, your, 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 your groom, and you utter those two words, I do. Three little letters. Change your life forever. But they don't compare to follow me. How about these two words? I remember when I heard them. I was right over here in my office. I had an office right outside these doors. I was the youth pastor here. My wife, Michelle, came in and she said, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Two words change your life forever, right? You have no idea how your life is going to change, but wow, does it change. But those two words don't compare to follow me. Some of you have heard these two words, and they're devastating. They changed your life forever. You're fired. Different emotion than I do, or I'm pregnant, but two powerful words. But they don't compare to follow me. Now, most of us in this room have heard those two words, right? I mean, there was some moment when you knew that Jesus was reaching out to you. You knew that Jesus was drawing you to himself. Maybe it was here at church. Maybe it was when you were younger at some Bible camp. Maybe it was at a Billy Graham crusade. Maybe you were just sitting with your mom on your bed or whatever. But you heard Jesus saying to you, follow me. Be my disciple. Now, you didn't hear an audible voice. And at that moment, you wouldn't have articulated it as if with those two words, follow me. But, but that's what was going on. You, you sensed something was happening. You, you, you sensed that God was drawing you to himself. And basically what was happening is the same thing that happened to Matthew. Now he actually heard audible voice, follow me, but, but we, we heard something like that. For me it was 35 years ago I heard Jesus speak those words. And once again, I didn't hear an audible voice. And I wouldn't have articulated it like that. But I can look back now and go, that's exactly what was happening 35 years ago. I heard Jesus saying, follow me, Rick. I want you to be one of my disciples. But here's the sad thing. The sad thing is that most people aren't really sure 
what those two words mean. What it means to be a follower of Jesus or, or what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Some of you aren't sure. You're here today over in the venue watching online, listening on the radio or whatever, and you're not really sure what those two words mean, follow me, or what, what really is a, 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 a disciple. And so this is what I wanna do. I, I just wanna take the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, and kinda unpack those two words. Follow me, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a disciple of the, the Lord Jesus? And I want you to know that the word disciple basically means student. It means a, a learner, it means a pupil. A disciple is a, an apprentice. When a mentor takes on someone to train, they're called their disciple. And in the Bible, that word was used basically about four different ways. Number one, the word disciple was referred to anybody that was being trained by somebody else. Moses discipled Joshua. Elijah discipled Elisha. David discipled his son Solomon. John the Baptist had disciples. Paul had a disciple, right? Man, a young guy by the name of, of Timothy. A disciple is just somebody who's being mentored by somebody else. So that's the first way that we, we see it used in the Bible. The second way the word disciple was used in the Bible is to refer to the 12 original disciples. They're also called the apostles. The third way, or number three, in the book of Acts, the word disciple is just a synonym for Christian. You see, in biblical days, followers of Jesus weren't called Christians. They, they were called disciples. In fact, it wasn't until the church had spread completely out of Israel into Antioch where they were first called Christians. So in biblical days, nobody was called a Christian. You were called a disciple. Being a Christian doesn't come later until you get to the city of Antioch. And number four, and this is the one I want us to look at over the next two weekends, is how Jesus used the word or the term disciple. Jesus frequently took a very common word like student, pupil, disciple, apprentice, and he adds new meaning to it. He infused this word with, with something Waiting. Now, as we kind of go through this, not only are we going to learn what it is to be a disciple, but you're going to learn why we do everything that we do here at Big Valley Grace. Everything we do here is all about helping you, I, become disciples. That we will learn how to better uh, uh, follow uh, Jesus. Okay, now, for the purpose of this series, I've, I've boiled things down to six things. Now, being a disciple is way more than six things, okay? But I've boiled it down to six things. I'm gonna give you three this weekend, and I'm gonna give you three next weekend. And I think it's gonna be really interesting for you, very insightful to you, maybe uh, very convicting to you. I had someone last night come up to me and say, wow, <laughs> I heard from the Lord. I've got some things to wrestle around with in my life. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, so, so here we go. N number one, uh, a follower of Jesus, okay, a disciple spends time with Jesus. And I'm going to let Jesus' own words kind of be our, our guide here. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. 
because my servants, my disciples must be where I am. We, we got to be together. We got to spend time together. Well, but this verse is just packed with, with meaning. Too, too, too many things to unpack in just one message, but I do want to make a, a few you know, make a few comments about it. I want to share with you three things about being a disciple of Jesus that we see just in this one verse. Okay, number one, being a disciple is a choice. Jesus said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. And I, I want you to underline that phrase in your notes or your Bible or whatever. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, and then I want you to circle the word want. If you want to be my disciple, it's a choice you make. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you can be a disciple of Jesus. If you don't want to be a disciple of Jesus, you don't have to be a disciple of Jesus. God doesn't force anybody to be his disciple. He wants you to make the choice. And by the way, the same thing is true as it relates to your spiritual growth. You have to want to grow in your faith in Jesus. God's not gonna force you to grow. He leaves it up to you. In other words, you're as close to God as you choose to be. If right now you feel like you're far away from God, guess who moved? <laughs> you did. You did. Now let me quickly say this, and this is important, this is a a fundamental theological truth that I want you all to understand. Romans chapter three says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, nobody seeks after God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Friends, this is a, a, a critical biblical concept. Nobody seeks after God. Everybody is a slave to his or her own sin. Mankind is totally depraved and unable to grasp God. We're all unrighteous, every one of us. Jesus said this in John chapter six, no one can come to me, nobody, unless the Father who sent me draws him. My point is this, you need to understand that it's God who does all the seeking. It's God who draws people to himself. It's God who initiates a relationship. It's all God. We don't seek after God. God's the one who does all the pursuing. God's the one who wants the relationship. It's all God. But God has given us a free choice. And what happens is, is that when he begins to draw people to himself, when God begins to move, when God begins to pursue, he gives you a choice. You wanna be my disciple? Or not? And people make a choice. See, I know God loves everybody, I know that. I know God wants everybody to spend their eternity with him in heaven forever. God doesn't want anybody to perish outside of a relationship with him. I know that, the Bible teaches that. I know that God draws people, but we also have a, a point where we have to make a choice. 
And we can say, God, you know what? I don't want you. In fact, you can make the choice to say, God, I don't even believe in you. You can make that choice. Or you make a choice to say, you know, I want to be one of your disciples. It's a choice that you make. But, but the second thing is this that I see in this verse. Being a disciple requires a commitment. He says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. First, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, that's great. It's a choice. You have to want to be his disciple. You have to want to grow in your faith. But then it moves to a commitment. Jesus says, you must come and follow. In other words, if you want to be his disciple, that's great. But, but Jesus' disciples have to then make a commitment. You can't just sit around and do nothing. A follower of Jesus is active. A follower of Jesus is engaged in life. you got to actually follow Jesus. You see, it's one thing to want to do something, right? It's a whole other thing to make a commitment to actually pull off whatever it is you want to do. You'll never get married unless you want to get married, right? But once you make that decision, you know what? I want to get married. I want to find a, a, a gal that I could spend the rest of my life with, that I could laugh with and cry with and pray with. I want to find a gal, you know, who will lift me to new heights in my walk with God. Or if you're a gal, you know, I want to get married. I want to find a guy who will, uh, you know, love me and care for me and I can laugh with and cry with. I want to find a man who, who will lift me to new heights in my walk with the Lord, you know. It's a good thing to want it because you'll never do it unless you want it. But it's a whole other thing to walk down an aisle and look that person in the eye and make a vow to them, make a commitment to them. See, it's easy to want to do something. And Jesus says it begins with wanting to be my disciple, wanting to get married, so to speak. But after you make the decision to want to do it, it takes a commitment, just like it is marriage. Got to make a commitment. A lot of people want to lose weight. <laughs> okay, good. Whole other thing to actually pull it off and make a commitment to lose the weight, isn't it? But it, but it begins with the wanting. You gotta want to do it. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you, if you make a choice to, to follow me, you have to make a commitment to me. You have to actually follow me, which leads me to number three. Third thing I want to make reference to in this verse, being a disciple is about a relationship. It's about spending time with Jesus, right? I'm just bringing it back around. Anyone who wants me to be my disciple must follow me because my servants, my disciples, must be where I am. We gotta be together. Being a disciple of Jesus is about being with Jesus. That, make, that makes sense, doesn't it? Hard to have someone mentoring you that you're never with. Hard to have somebody who's, you know, you, who, who's teaching you things if you're never with them. This is about spending time with Jesus. It's not about following a bunch of rules and regulations or following some ritual or following some formula. It's about being where Jesus is. Jesus said, my servants must be where I am. A, a disciple of Jesus has to hang out with Jesus. 
That kind of makes some sense, right? We're not building the space shuttle here. Just pointing out a, 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 a few things. In Mark chapter three, it says this, Jesus tw chose 12 and he called them his apostles. He wanted them to be with him. <laughs> well, that's crazy. No, because he knew he was gonna disciple them. He knew he was gonna train them. They were gonna be his apprentices. And if you're gonna be a disciple of somebody, you gotta spend time with them. And the first thing I wanna point out about what a, what a disciple is, is a disciple is somebody who wants to be a disciple, they've made a commitment to it, and they say, you know what, I am gonna hang out with Jesus. I'm gonna spend time with, with Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we do that? See, in biblical days, that would have been easy because he was actually around. But how do we do that today? You see, Jesus died on a cross. He was put into a tomb. He walked out of that tomb three days later, and now he's at the right hand of the Father. So how do we, as disciples, we, as his followers, how do we spend time with Jesus today? Well, there's a number of ways, but, but let me give you the two big ones. The first one is, is you spend time with Jesus when you read and study and memorize and meditate on his book. This is the number one way that one of Jesus' disciples spends time with Jesus today. If you want to be his disciple, that's great. But then you have to move to a commitment. You have to follow him. You have to spend time with him. It's one of the distinguishing marks of a disciple is that they spend time in the word of God, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter five. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures, they, they point to me. The, the Pharisees were, were looking at the Old Testament trying to find out how, how do I get saved? Who's the Messiah? Who's the Savior? And Jesus says, hey, you're searching those things. And guess what? It, they're about me. So it makes sense that a, a disciple would spend time with Jesus. This book's about him. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it the word of God to prepare and equip his people, his disciples, his followers, to do every good work, whatever it is, whatever it is that God has for you, it's the word of God that he uses to mentor you, to disciple you, all those kinds of things, whatever those words might be, you see. So let me ask you, how much time do you hang out with Jesus? On a scale from one to 10. Are you involved in a Bible study somewhere? 
You know, our, our men's ministry has a Bible study going on. Our women's ministries have Bible studies going on. You, you can, lots of places where you can go to get into a Bible study. Are you involved in one? Do, do you take the daily meditation page home and kind of keep your nose in the Word of God? Do, do, do you do that? Do, do, do you go to prime time, you know, and, and, and get in there and fellowship with other believers and, you know, get into the Word again? Do, do, do you do that? I don't know. All I know is that Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, fantastic. You have to make a commitment, and that commitment is you got to spend time with me. And obviously how we do that today is primarily through the Word of God. Do you get up in the morning and read the scriptures? Do you have a time on your lunch hour to read the scriptures? Do you find yourself reading the scriptures throughout the day? And not just reading them, but then also saying, you know what, God, I'm not really good at memorizing things, but I'm gonna give it a shot because I'm your disciple. <laughs> I've made a choice to follow you and I realize it came with a commitment. And so I'm gonna give it a shot. And I, and, and, you know, I hate people who can you know, look at something one time and they got it memorized. Don't you hate people like that? I know people like that. That doesn't work for me. But because I'm his disciple, and I've made that commitment, it doesn't matter how hard it is, I still do it. Because that's what being a disciple's about, or at least one of the things that, that it's about. You see, here at Big Valley Grace, anybody who wants to be a disciple, that, that last week, I don't know, almost 200 people marked on their cards and put a little star on there, that, that they sensed maybe God was calling them, and they said, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Well, that's fantastic. It's the next step that's always hard. See, we asked them to make a commitment then to come to the follow class. And it's in the follow class where we begin to unpack some things, and the very first lesson in the follow class is all about the Bible. We're gonna talk about the importance of the Word of God, that somebody who wants to be his disciple has to spend time in this book. But what happens a lot is this, a lot of people want to be a follower, they mark it on their card. But the idea of making a commitment to come down here on Wednesday night, <laughs> oh man, I'm too busy. Okay. Jesus is not gonna force you to be his disciple, remember. That's a decision you make. He's not gonna twist your arm and say, come on, you're gonna be my disciple. No, that is not how God works. If you wanna be his disciple, fantastic, but it's got, there's a commitment involved. And it begins with spending time with the Lord in his word. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, so faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. In other words, your, your faith will never grow unless you get into the Word of God, unless you hear the Word of God. It can't grow. There's no way that Jesus can disciple you, mentor you, if you don't hear Him. When you give your life to Christ, he doesn't magically put all the data that you need to know into your brain. He doesn't throw pixie dust over your brain and all of a sudden you know it all. That's not how it works. It's a process. And I'll talk more about this next week. But it begins right here. 
This is, this, this is how it works. And the second way that we spend time with Jesus or hang out with Jesus today, since he's not physically here, is when you talk with him, when, when you pray. I want you to know that I talk with God all the time. All the time. I'm hanging out with God all the time in his word, and I'm hanging out with God all the time by, by talking with him. In fact, I want you to know that I can talk with you and talk with God at the very same moment. Oftentimes, people will come into my office and they'll be sharing with me something. It could be a couple. It could be a businessman. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, Lord. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say to this person. God, please recall to my memory something. Something I've studied, something I've memorized. Oh God, please help me right now. Because I don't want to just give them my words. I want them to get, get, get your words. And I'm looking at them. Oh God, please. And did you hear what I said? I asked God to recall to my memory that which I've read or memorized or studied. Can God call to your memory anything he wants? I suppose he could. But that's not the way it typically works. How it works is, is God can recall to your mind that which you've studied, that which you've read, that which you've memorized. There are times I'm sitting with people, sometimes up here, and I don't have it in my notes, but out of nowhere, boom, I'm quoting a verse to you that I wasn't even planning on talking about. Why? Because God recalled it to my memory. He can't recall to my memory something that I have not read or studied, you see? Students, always at finals time, you know, always got real spiritual. And they'd always come in, Rick, will you pray for me? My own children are, are like that. And here's what I always tell them. Here's the deal. Right before your test, you pray. And you say, God, would you recall to my memory that which I've studied? <laughs> See, that's the way it's supposed to be. You've, you've studied a topic. I don't know who won the Civil War, right? You've studied it, you've read it, you've studied it, and now you're going to take a test on it. God, would you recall to my memory that which I've studied? That's the prayer. Because if you go into the test and you haven't studied or anything, good luck. God can't recall anything to your memory, can he? The word of God, praying, are so important. It's how they're the two primary ways that we would hang out with Jesus or spend time with, with Jesus. Once again, Jesus said, Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am. We've got to be together. You have to make a commitment to, to be with me. N number two, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, must love Jesus more than anybody else or anything else. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. 
your father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. <clears throat> Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The Bible wasn't written to trick anybody. That's just crystal clear. Now what's he saying there? Well, he's saying that your love for God is to be so intense that everything else pales in comparison. Jesus isn't saying that you can't love other people. He's simply saying that your love for him has to trump everything else. And by the way, the, the more you love Jesus, the more you're going to love the other people in your life. The reason why some of your love has grown cold for your spouse is because that got out of whack. You show me somebody who says, I don't love my spouse anymore, and I'm going to show you somebody who is not loving the Lord supremely anymore. You see, the more your, your love for Jesus is supreme in your life, the greater your love for your spouse will be, for your kids will be, for your parents, all that kind of stuff. Always makes me sad when I hear a follower of Jesus say something like, um, you know, my, man, my kids are my life. Oh, man. I'm sorry you're living in sin. You need to change that. It sounds good. The world will applaud you for making that statement. Not Jesus. Your kids aren't to be your life. He is. Your love for him is to trump every other love. And by the way, <clears throat> if you were to take the first four commandments of the Big Ten, the Bible says, God says, you will have no other gods before me. You're not to make for yourself an idol and worship something other than me. Make sure you don't use my name in vain. My name's holy. And you make sure you set aside a moment, a day, that's special, that's very unique, where I'm at the center of it. You rest, worship me. The first four of the great 10 commandments are all about making sure that God is loved and worshiped above all else. Above all else! See, whatever you love the most, that's what you worship. That's going to be the, 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 the centerpiece of your worship. If, I don't know, you, you love your boat the most, guess what? You're going to love, you're going to worship your boat. If you love your, your job the most, you're going to worship your job. If you love your spouse the most, you're going to worship your spouse. If you love your kids the most, you're going to worship your kids. In our culture today, it seems like a lot of people love themselves the most, and they worship themselves. Now, they'll never say that, but you can sure tell that people love themselves, taking selfies and showing themselves off to the world, and, hey, look at my abs, hey, look at me, don't I look good, aren't I cool, aren't I... Pr Unbelievable what's happening in our culture today. 
People love themselves deeply and not in a good biblical way. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everything else by comparison. Your love for him is to be um, greater than anything else. He, he doesn't want to be second place in your life. On a scale from one to 10, how are you doing in that, that regard? You see, it's easy for our spouses to kind of, it's easy for our children, right? To become the, 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 the centerpiece of our lives. Or our grandchildren. Huh? And God wants you to love your parents and God wants you to love your kids. That, that was number five of the Big Ten honor, your mom and dad and all that. God wants you to do all that. It just makes sure you don't cross a line and your love for somebody else or something else trumps me. Jesus said, my disciples spend time with me, and my disciples love me above everything else. Number three, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, must love every other disciple or every other follower. Listen to what Jesus said in John 13. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. Now this is where things get a little dicey. This is where it gets hard. It's easy to love God because he's perfect, right? But it's the guy sitting next to you. That's hard. It's one thing to say, man, I, I will love God supremely. But loving that guy, that gal, that person, that's harder, isn't it? You see, sometimes people can be irritating or obnoxious. Sometimes people can get on our nerves. <laughs> Sometimes people can just be downright crummy. Yet Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you can't just love me. You have to love everybody else in my family. You have to love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And what exactly is the family of God? It's the church. We're, we're, we're called the, the family of God, those of us that have given our lives to Christ. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're the bride of Christ. And God, God says, listen if, you're, listen, listen, if you're gonna be my disciple, fantastic. You make sure you hang out with me. You make sure you love me supremely, but there needs to be a love between you, between your fellow brothers, fellow sisters. Look, the, one of the great marks that you're a follower of Jesus isn't the fact that you've got a bumper sticker on your car that says, you know, honk if you love the Lord. N nothing wrong with that. The, the, it, it isn't, well, you know, I, I wear cross jewelry. 
Madonna wears a big cross. Doesn't mean anything. No, I don't have a problem with wearing cross jewelry. My wife's got a beautiful cross. Jesus didn't say the, the thing that's going to prove to the world you're one of my disciples, you know, if you're carrying around your four foot by four foot Jerry Falwell Bible. Now, nothing wrong with a four foot by four foot Jerry Falwell Bible. Nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm sure I got one. But that, that's not the distinguishing mark. He didn't say that the great mark that's going to show the world that you're one of my disciples if you wear a really cool witness wear, you know, with a cool phrase, you know, turn or burn, you know, you know or whatever, whatever the shirt says. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing wrong with wearing witness stuff. I wear it. Jesus said, here's the deal. It's your love for one another. That's the great sign that, that, that you're one of my disciples. And let me tell you something. If you're not hanging out with the Lord in his word and in prayer, and you're not loving him supremely, that can be very difficult. Kind of put this in an order. You see, once you've spent time with the Lord and his word, once you've spent time with the Lord in prayer, once you've made sure that he is the, uh, the, 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 the supreme person that you love, now all of a sudden you can deal with your brothers and sisters who are imperfect, because many of them are. Now this doesn't mean you have to hang out with everybody, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody, it doesn't mean you can't confront people with their sin. But a disciple has to love Jesus' family. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. Just let that sink in for a moment. I remember when I was studying this past week and I remember just stopping on that verse saying, oh man, Lord. <laughs> then, then, then it became nothing about you and unpacking some message. It became about me and a few folks. If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see. And has he given us this command? Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. The Bible also says this. This is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us, so we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's just, you see, once you become his follower, you then inherit a whole lot of other followers. We're all followers. We're all now disciples of his. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And God says, listen, I want to make sure that you're loving each other. You know, and, and we're the church. 
There's a lot of books that have been written and I've read some of them and I've met with people who say, well, I love Jesus, I just hate the church. <laughs> well, well, then you can't be one of his disciples because the church is people. I understand that there are people in the church that are weird and crazy and they do dumb things and they say dumb things. I get it. I'm one of them. And so are you. But don't tell me you love Jesus, but, but you hate the church. Because the church is people. Somebody who makes that statement hasn't been spending time with the Lord. Somebody who makes that statement hasn't spent spending time with Jesus in prayer. They haven't put Jesus in the pedestal that he belongs, the first place in our lives. Because if that was true, you wouldn't make a statement like that. You could say, you know, man, I love Jesus, and boy, there are some people in the church that are kind of nutty. That's a true statement. But you can't say, I don't, I don't like the church. I don't love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. How would you like it if I came up to you and said, you know, I really like you. I just can't stand your wife. That would offend you, wouldn't it? It should offend you. And that's what people do. Hey, Jesus, I love you. It's, it's your bride. Can't stand it. Can't stand her. I wonder how that makes them feel. I didn't give the church the name, the bride of Christ. I didn't do that. Jesus is the one who says, you're my bride. As goofed up and as messed up as you are, he calls us his bride. A lot of people out there think that they can follow Christ but not love the church that he died for and gave his life for. My, my goal throughout these next couple of weeks, and who knows, it may grow into something bigger, is I just want you to hear the words of Jesus about what it means to be a real follower of the Lord, what it means to be his disciple, and it all starts right here. A disciple is somebody that hangs out with Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. They spend time with Jesus in his word. They spend time with Jesus in prayer. And you need to ask yourself, do I do that? Because if you don't, maybe you're really not a disciple. The second thing is Jesus said, hey, if you want to be my disciple, I have to be number one. You have to love me above anything else. Are there things that you love more? I mean, I, I know you love Jesus. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. But are there some things that you love more than Jesus? If there are, maybe that's something you'd wrestle around with. And number three, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, must love every other disciple. And like I said, doesn't mean you gotta hang out and do life and barbecue together and go to games together. But you gotta love the church. You gotta, you gotta love your fellow brothers and sisters, your, the, the, the family that Jesus has put together. Doesn't mean you can't confront somebody. Doesn't mean, you know, you can't go, wow, you know. That person's immature, that person's growing in their faith or whatever. But you have to have a love for them, according to Jesus. According to him. 
There's a, um, a banner that we put out front out here, and I want to end with this. And I like the banner. Saw it last night. I really, really like it. Brought, brought joy to my, my heart. And I want you to see it out there. It's a, a quote from Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some of your Bibles say, Seek first the kingdom of God. Look, it's not the only thing you seek. I seek to have a wonderful relationship with my wife. I seek to to be a good father for my children and raise them in a God-honoring way that they would be salt-of-the-earth kind of kids, you know. I seek to be a, a good pastor of this church. God didn't have a problem with that. God says, look, here's the deal. You seek my kingdom first. You, 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 you make sure, Rick, because you're one of my disciples. You, you wanted to follow me. You've made a commitment, and here's the deal. You seek me first, and you live righteously. Live according to my word, and I'll take care of everything else. You're my child. You're my apprentice, and I'm your mentor. And the thing about Jesus being your mentor, uh, he, he can pull that off. He can take care of everything. As long as I put Jesus in the right place, I'm seeking him, hanging out with him, I'm seeking his love, I'm, putting him, I'm loving him above all else. And I say, you know what, I love my, my fellow disciples. As crazy as some of you are. And there are some of you in this room that are crazy. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, well, it takes one to know one. And I, 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 I know, I, I get it, I get it. I understand. But I love you deeply. Why don't you stand up? Over in the venue, I want you to stand up. And just close your eyes for a, a, a moment. And Pastor Joel, I'm gonna let you take it over in the venue, but let, let me pray for those of you that are in here. Father, thank you, God, for this morning. And boy, 90 minutes flies by. It was good to sing some really great God-honoring songs, Lord. Songs that focus our attention on you, get our minds on you. I'm thankful that we got to honor your word by giving. I'm thankful, God, that you have reached out to us and said, follow me. Follow me, be my disciple. And Lord, I, I want to be your disciple. I know most of the people in this room want to be your disciple. Those watching online, I know there's lots of people, God, and we long to be one of your disciples, a true disciple. And so would you use this message this morning to help us, guide us, lead us, transform us, convict us, encourage us to actually be a real true disciple of yours. Lord, thanks for being a great God, and I pray this in your name, and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Live for Jesus.